This is Payments Ground Game, where we go under the operational hood of Payments ISOs. Let's take a deep dive into the tactics you can use to strategically scale performance and your bottom line. To survive in today's market, ISOs can't rely on revenue generation alone. Hyper-focusing on growth and closing new merchant accounts is simply not enough. In this episode, we're going to talk about five operational areas that often have huge opportunities for improvement. There's so much focus on sales in this industry, but fine-tuning your operations is one of the best ways to take your business to the next level. We're going to talk about how you automate processes, make them more efficient, and produce savings that improve your overall financial performance. You know, Elena, one of the things everybody forgets when they talk about, hey, my residual is this, my residual is that, or this is how much we have in recurring revenue that's coming in. That's all fantastic. But at the end of the day, that's just a piece of what your income is made up of. You have to start off with that as your income, but you have to start track things like how many people do you have in the office? How much is their cost and their overhead associated with them? How big is your office? How much does it cost to run the electricity, everything else? Because at the end of the day, it's not just the income that you have. You also have these expenses that result in this is what we made as a company at the end of the month. A lot of people forget that. Exactly right. That P&L is profit and loss, and there's income part of that, and there's expense part of that. And there's a lot of optimization that can be done in looking at the expense part of that and running that a little bit more efficiently. Okay, let's get into the five operational areas that we're going to cover today. Um, the first one is the application process. And I think the worst habit that we see here is rekeying the same data over and over again. I think it's really important that we focus here on eliminating redundancy and eliminating human error in this process. And Elena, you've heard me say this a thousand times. If there's anyone in our office that's doing the same thing or keying the same thing or doing the same repetitive motion more than once to get something from start to end, we need to figure out how to automate that. That's been one of the keys that we've lived off of for the last 10 years, and it's helped us tremendously in taking a little bit of investment and putting it into a piece of automation versus the continual repetitiveness along with what comes with the repetitiveness, which is exponential capability to screw things up. <laughs> Just because you keyed it right the first time doesn't mean you're going to key it right the second time. Exactly. And we've seen a lot of that. That's too easy to do. Anything else on the application process you think we need to think about? You know, you really want to make sure that when you're thinking about the application process, you're not just thinking about the application process. You're thinking about the entire process from the point at which an application is obtained all the way to where a terminal is in place and a merchant is taking transactions. That's truly your application underwriting boarding process. And it all ties into itself and needs to be thought out thoroughly. Okay, which brings us to the next topic and area, which is the boarding process. And I see a lot of things when I talk to people about their boarding process and mostly what they're tolerating. It's kind of amazing to me um, that once an account is approved, it shouldn't be very long for that account to get boarded. But it seems like there's a very long timeline out there still in our industry that people are, are tolerating this longer um, timeline. Uh, I think, again, that comes back to automation. A lot of um, 
ISOs are not implementing the proper automation as part of the boarding process, um, and we're not taking advantage of those. Um, so we should be asking those questions, what kind of APIs are available or connectivity between platforms so that we can board more efficiently during that process. So once we have approval, we can flow right into the boarding process. Well, and it goes back to what I said just a minute ago. It's that complete process from the time the application is taken until the merchant is up and running. Just because you get an, you can get an approval within, I don't know, a day, that doesn't mean anything if it takes another week for you to get the terminal programmed, loaded, shipped, put in place, merchant trained, et cetera. You want it to be one quick, easy flowing process. Now there's a couple of different ways to address that, especially when it comes to the boarding piece of it. You can either as a ISO restrict the products that you offer, therefore streamlining everything because there's only three or four pieces of product that you have. So you streamline those three pieces and you don't allow anything else into the system or you can work on narrowing down your product line. Maybe three is too extreme, but you want to make the process as smooth as possible. And I think you have to communicate that, except, you know, you have to communicate that to your sales force. Look, these are the products and services that we offer. These are what we're really good at. You're bringing something else into the mix. That's not going to be as smooth of a process if it's new and it's something we haven't done before. So you want to make sure you, to the best of your ability can get these processes down so that, you know, if it's terminal A or terminal B or terminal C, it's just lickety split, approved, boom, 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 terminal ships into the merchant. There it goes, training off to the races. And you touched on something there, Kevin, that I think is worth noting. And when you can, when you narrow down like that, um, you're talking about focusing on a niche. And I think that's something that not enough of us do um, we have to find what our strong suit is and really hone in on that. And then it's much easier to build these repetitive processes where we can um, implement them over and over again with a high success rate. If you're trying to be everything to everyone, it makes that really difficult. Um, so niche is probably going to be a whole other topic for <laughs> another podcast. But I think it's worth mentioning that when you're thinking about how do you narrow down Focus on your strengths first. What do you do really well um, and offer those so that you can offer them in a repetitive way and have a process in place so that it's the same process every single time or at least a similar process every single time. So our next phase in this is deployment. Um, I think one of the most important things when it comes to deployment is having a documented process, um, if, especially if there's repetitive steps involved. Um, it's way too easy to screw up a deployment, I think, and uh, that's not a great initial experience for a merchant when you you know haven't set it up correctly, um, you haven't tested it properly, and then they get that terminal and they go to run their first transaction and it doesn't work for some reason. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to clean up this process and make sure that we do it um, really well. And the sad part about this is it's the easy stuff that gets the smoothness into the process. Literally, the very basic things is, did you run a debit transaction? Well, they may not take debit. Well, run one anyway, just to make sure. Did you run an Amex transaction? Did you run a Discover transaction? Did you run a Visa transaction? And did you run a MasterCard transaction? It takes a, literally five minutes to run one of, to run all five of those transactions and make sure that all work appropriately. 
And maybe you want to take an extra day just to make sure that the terminal batches out on the auto batch setting that it's supposed to batch out on that when it comes, when you come in the next day, before you ship that terminal out, it's got the receipt, it's got the, uh, batch report all printed out you know that everything works you know that everything matches you see everything come through the system then deploy the terminal take that extra 24 hours just to make sure that everything works properly before you go out there listen delivering a terminal that doesn't work or delivering a terminal that doesn't do everything that you promised that it was going to do that's almost as bad or worse than declining the merchant outright in the very beginning Right. And that batch process, there's nothing worse than a merchant, you know, that is looking for their first deposit days after they've actually run a lot of transactions because no one set up for auto batch and they didn't know that they had to manually close it. Um, so that's a super easy one to catch right there. The other big thing is communicating with merchants throughout the process, um, telling them when they can expect to receive the equipment. What should they do with it? If you're just shipping it to them directly, what do they do with it? When they receive it, is somebody going to be there in person to help them, um, you know, manage the implementation or set it up? And I think a lot of us just put them in the box and send them and don't we expect them that they don't they know where the power button is going to be and what they need to do with it once they get it. All of these terminals are different and they need a lot of handholding as part of the setup process. So if we can um, make sure we streamline, streamline that communication with them and stay in touch with them so they know what's going on as part of that process. I think we're all much better off for that. Not to mention the oldest sales technique in the book is what? Asking for referrals. And when's the best and most opportune time? I know people have heard this a million times over, but the best and most opportune time to ask for a referral is it the moment in which you've delivered the terminal and run through trans transactions with them and handed the process back off to the merchant? That's the exact time you want to ask for that referral. Exactly. Then you're creating the opportunity for your next sale right there. All right. The next one is updates and tracking of updates like banking, demographics, you know, address, phone number, email, et cetera, for merchants. We want to think about how we're managing incoming requests for updates. A lot of times we just, you know, tell the merchant to email us or uh, call us. Um, and that's not usually the most efficient way um, when you're talking about managing this kind of information update. You really want to have some kind of CRM where all of these requests are flowing into so that you know what has been worked and what hasn't been worked so that you can track and measure also your response time. You know how quickly you're completing these requests. Um, there should be some kind of documented process in place for updates. And we want to make sure that we do it right the first time. Otherwise, it's costing us money if we don't. If we're doing updates and we get it wrong, a bank account especially, that can be a very expensive mistake if you get that wrong. Expensive mistake is probably the understatement. The you know, that that's the one that comes to mind every time when we talk about updates, everybody gets all upset about, well, why are you asking me for a voided check? Or why are you asking me for a bank letter? Let me go and tell you, you can key that in one time wrong and you will ask for that bank letter and you will ask for that voided check every single time from that point forward. Most people don't understand when you make a mistake, especially with banking accounts, once that money goes out, if it was the wrong account number, if it, is not, or if it gets deposited into somebody else's account, your ability to get those funds back is almost next to impossible. Unless you have a willing party on the other side that agrees that yes, you gave them money they shouldn't have had and they're willing to give it back. Like I said, you only have to make that mistake once. 
Yes, that's the most unf- unfun way to uh, make a mistake, I think, because once that money leaves, it's gone. There's, It's very hard to get it back. Okay, our last area is commission payouts for agents. I think one of the mistakes we make here is that we overcomplicate this way too much. We want to give our agents their own custom schedule A's um, and charge, you know, give them revenue share a little differently than we're getting it from the, you know, processor or the ISO that we're getting our services from. Um, we try to overcomplicate it. And then I think what happens is our own calculation of commissions and payouts becomes this gigantic process of its own. And it becomes this unmanageable process where it's very hard to calculate all that because now we're relying on somebody else's time schedule. You're waiting for all that information to come. Then you're trying to do something else with it and make it, you know, reply it against your own schedule A, do those other revenue shares. And it becomes this whole big thing when it really doesn't need to be. I think um, you really just need to make it fair and you need to have a way that you can automate it so that it's a fairly easy process um, to follow every month because you're going to be doing this month after month. Do you mean the word transparency? Yes. (laughs) I think that's one of the things that has always boggled my mind in this industry is we try to hide, we try to disguise, we try to manipulate, we try to make things difficult to understand, especially when it comes to commissions and payouts. All you're doing is not only making that difficult on yourself, you have to remember what that magic curtain was that you used to do that calculation when explaining it to someone that actually questioned you over it. Why not just be transparent? Hey, look, here it is. Here's the cost. Guess what? You really, it's not, you don't get caught in a lie if you don't start off with a lie to begin with. I'm not saying people lie with their residuals and I'm not saying people lie with their payouts, but holy smokes, be transparent. It's easy. It's simple. People appreciate that. Once you get there, sometimes they don't understand it in the very beginning and they, you get a lot of questions. Well, what do you mean? You're showing me exactly what it is. Here it is. It's exactly what it is. Transparent. That's what we've been living off of. It's It makes life a whole lot easier. That's one that I really don't understand because um, usually in this relationship, you have an ISO and then they have their agents. And obviously the ISO is providing some kind of value to the agents or the agents would be sending business somewhere else. And so as long as you can continue to prove that value, yes, you're going, you're, yes, the ISO is also making something off of it as well. They have to, to stay in business. Hey, you've got to eat, I've got to eat, but I'm willing to do the work in order to eat. And so as long as you they understand what it is that you're doing and contributing to this relationship, I don't see any purpose in trying to hide the way that you arrive at these numbers unless you're trying to do something sneaky. And that's just not the best way to start a relationship anyways. As you and I have said to each other many times, I don't mind asking for someone to pay me to do something, but there's no one out there that is truly doing something absolutely for free out of the kindness of their heart. I know we all want to think that they're there and that's what they're doing, but that's not the reality. No, definitely not. That wraps up this episode of Payments Ground Game. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others or leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. 